Welcome to the Spatial Reality Podcast, your resource for authentic conversations about spatial computing technologies. I'm Sean Higgins, your host. Every few weeks, I'll share a new in-depth interview with a leader in spatial computing. I'm casting my net wide, trying to find experts who can help us understand how this technology is going to change and is already changing a huge variety of fields. My goal is to offer hype-free information about spatial computing. For these first three episodes, I pulled recordings from my most popular interviews from the last year. These recordings were made so I could publish text interviews on the website, and that means we used Google to record. Not ideal. Still, I think it's worth sharing these so you can enjoy the insights that our guests have to offer. Enjoy and keep an eye out for more podcasts coming very soon. The Immersive Wire is an essential read, a twice-weekly analysis of the latest news in AR, VR, and the metaverse. For those of you who don't know the newsletter, here's an elevator pitch. If you're struggling to keep up with developments in the AR, VR space, or you're feeling tired of the same old venture-backed marketing hype, the Immersive Wire is your solution. The man behind the newsletter, Tom Fisk, is a thought leader with a uniquely high-level view of the industry. When I caught up with him, we discussed the common misconceptions about AR and VR, why most of us are wrong about the metaverse, and how an interview with Carol Baskin, of all people, helped highlight a necessary truth and a big problem with the state of AR, VR technology today. Enjoy. Does the term spatial computing mean anything specific to you? I use it as uh, within the un umbrella of immersive technologies. You need spatial computing in order to help immerse people in it. Good example is Matterport because they're a company who captures spaces. I think that kind of spatial stuff is going to be really important for the future because, of course, you're going to be building out and going from there. Now, I should probably say Matterport is a client of mine in my full-time role where I work as an account director. So I'm using them as an example because I'm quite familiar with the area. Beyond that, there are a lot of other companies who are working in the area who are doing some really cool things. And I think spatial computing fits under this metaverse where you can either create things and the creator-led economy is fascinating. That's worth a whole episode in of itself, mm. as well as realistic capture as well, which does have its own place because realistic capture will be important for services in the future. But we also need to sort out of the fundamentals about what this metaverse is even going to be. There's no consensus. And I don't think anyone is being polite. I think there's a lot of people who talk about who don't know what they're talking about because they think, oh, the metaverse, that's NFTs, right? I think, oh, the metaverse, that's what Facebook's doing, right? There's a lot of confusion in the area, which is understandable, but it's just one thing at a time. You're concerned with spatial computing technology insofar as it enables immersive technologies. Would you say generally your focus these days is on the metaverse or is there a broader, a broader I focus? I've seen a lot of info in the metaverse, and yeah. so it has been like a very recent big focus. But I always try to see within the prism of virtual augmented reality, because I think those will be the fundamental, I believe, along down the line. But potentially decentralized networks as well. We'll see. I'm an immersive technology professional first. By no means am I like a crypto person second. Yeah. If I were, then like I'll have stories coming in my ears when it comes right. to it. It sounds like, as you say, virtual and augmented reality are these fundamental, fundamental technologies. Why do you think that? And what 
what do you imagine them becoming in the future? Like, why are these the meaningful technologies rather than all the NFTs and distributed ledgers and whatnot? I, when it comes to investor technologies, it's more fundamental because it's the organic next step when it comes to our connected experience online. With the internet, we have we can access information whenever we want. But on when it comes to our experiences online, the next mm-hmm. evolution is instead of an internet of information, we'll have an internet of experiences. And I believe fundamental to that would be augmented reality and virtual reality. And I think it'll just go in di- two different ways. For virtual reality, I think it's just because it's just really cool. And if you try it yourself, yeah. you can see that there's a lot of potential into it. It's just that it's being hampered by its costs of, of creating content and hardware. And then if you look at augmented reality, I think there's a lot of potential within the metaverse, where it's an overlay of our current reality. The mapping technology has been created by Meta and Niantic, and the idea that you can have an overlay with contextual information or the potential of playing games is astonishingly cool. I could see a device that will come out in the world which will be as intuitive as a mobile phone, but something that you use potentially with glasses, potentially. Yeah. Um, like, there'll be a lot of friction before we reach that point. There'll be years. That's a long-term thing. Do you see a general consensus in any sense among these companies about what the best uses of these technologies are? Enterprise is where the money is at at the moment. So even, like, smaller players like HTC are seeing some good profit from going for enterprise use cases, training and soft skills, hard skills, learning, all that good stuff. Yeah. So there's lots of companies focusing in the area because that's just a very easy way of getting those profit margins higher. The more consumer you get, the more difficult it gets. Right down yeah. to arts festivals where the margins are non-existent, but still important and like really amazing stuff that comes out. So I think areas where like it's profitable is obviously going to be enterprise. I have a soft spot for meditative experiences. I think they're really cool. Personal link to. And areas which I think people have got the wrong end of the stick. It's hard to say. I wouldn't even necessarily say there's a wrong way of using VR. I think there's just ways in which it's smaller and not as necessary. I think, I think travel's a good example. You don't need a VR headset for like travel experiences. Not yet. The technology is not there. And like, why do I need to put on a VR headset to see a 360 image of a location? Right? It's pointless. <laughs> and if I go to augmented reality, great for marketing, amazing for marketing because you've got, you can track everything. So like the trackable element is so important. I've also seen it being used in great little uh, soft skills training sessions as well. Scan a poster in a factory, you can learn a skill you need for just in time training. That's yeah. very useful as well. And ways which I've seen which just don't work as well is if it's just like a really finicky video game where the AR doesn't contribute to the core of the gameplay, then it's pointless. Mm. You might as well just be tapping away and playing Candy Crush. You don't need augmented reality for certain types of experiences. So it sounds like maybe this is one of the stumbling blocks right now. People are so hyped up about these technologies that they're using them in ways where it's not totally necessary. I mean, they're experimenting, and it's important yeah. to experiment. And they may well be that there might be like an incredible AR game that will go and absolutely soar. And before you say, oh, yeah, do you, what about Pokemon Go? Didn't that do super well? Niantic was very quiet about how many people actually use the AR function. Because remember, you mm. can like, just not use it. You can turn yeah. it off. They've been very quiet about that. So I wonder, like the game wasn't popular because of the AR. The game was popular because of Pokemon. And I think we both know that. Fair. Looking at your newsletter, like what's your, if your newsletter has a point of view on all of this stuff, what is it? I'm just cautiously optimistic. 
when the newsletter exists to support companies who are like far smarter than I, who's like building the future, the newsletter is my way of just saying to everyone, look at these people, look at what they're doing. There are, there's some amazing stuff coming out. And I do put a little bit of analysis for certain news stories. And I do have an opinion. So I published yes. a book called uh, The Metaverse Professional Guide, which is, that's why I put my opinions in for better right. The perspective I have is, all, A, all discussions in the metaverse presently is pointless. This is something which is going to be far flung in the future. B, we can't know what it's going to look like because we're seeing it through the prism of the 2020s. Try asking someone in the 1990s to see the 2000s. They'll be seeing right. the 2000s in the prism of the experiences of the 1900s. It's impossible. And three, I do think the next natural evolution of like how people connect is just a question of how. I believe it will be augmented reality. I might be wrong, so we'll find right. out. Saying this is so far out in the future, it's interesting because I talk to people who are who it seems that they believe that it, it's coming soon. Well, I'll give you like Meta has a 15 year plan for the metaverse. And Meta is also probably the company investing the most in Metaverse technologies publicly, known mm -hmm. anyway. I would lean towards the billionaire fang company who says it's going to take a long time rather than a startup who's trying to get some venture capital. Because there's a lot of hype in the metaverse stuff at the moment. And of course, if you, there are people who are just strapping on Web3 or metaverse in marketing decks to get that venture money and succeeding. You've got to be careful. On to your second point, when you talk about our difficulty imagining what this is going to look like. A lot of the people I talk to, we look back at various developments in computing history. They say, here's what happened when we were developing the GUI for desktop computers. We've been through this sort of thing a few times. We imagine this is how it works. Given that sort of thing, why, what don't we know? Or what don't we know that we don't know? First, let's say between hardware and software. Hardware, we don't know how we're even going to access it. Personal computers are way too good. So easy to use a computer and access whatever you want on it. It needs to be an amazing device to replace that, if it is replaceable at all. Because equally, you can have a sub, a sub device that is good in its own way. That what very much can turn into. Uh, so there's hardware, and you can't really predict that because that's going to be based on how the metaverse can be set up on the software side. So now let's go to software, the other side. And right. on software, there needs to be open protocols that everyone agrees to, similar to how the internet is based on a type of code where there's agreements, there's interoperability, we can all connect together. That's what the metaverse will be built on and go from there. A great example is email. Like there are protocols so that emails can actually communicate with each other so we can actually send emails or receive emails. There's absolutely no way we email will be as like spread uh, today as it is now if it weren't for those open protocols. Could you imagine they would be walled gardens of emails? It would be right. terrible. So an equivalent of that for the metaverse is what we need. And that is being discussed and like we're getting there, which makes me happy. Talking about getting there, how is this happening? There are consortiums of companies, for instance, that talk about home IoT devices running on the same protocols. Is this one of the things that maybe we've learned about from past mistakes, having devices that don't talk to each other? Do people are people recognizing that this is necessary for everybody if it's gonna work for anybody? 
I certainly hope we don't have a Android and iOS situation where there are some things which are blocked between each other. I hope not. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. It's worth noting, actually, it's just uh, other companies' different perspectives on its growth. So Microsoft is adding there'll be multiple metaverses. So mm-hmm. all the messaging is that there'll be multiple metaverses which, like, will just hang around and coexist. While Facebook believes there'll be one singular metaverse, Board Ape Yacht Club believes there'll be one metaverse where they can make a ton of money. There's lots, <laughs> there's lots of different uh, perspectives on it. What do you think? Is there going to be one metaverse? or men? Are you op- cautiously optimistic that there will be one? I think there'll be two types. I think the ones we're seeing today are called micro-metaverses. They're, like, they're effectively virtual worlds. Uh, and like a, an example of micro-metaverse would be Second Life, VR Chats, Decentraland. They're all micro-metaverses. They exist within their own bubble and can't talk to each other. Now, the vision that Facebook has, and the one which I think will also come out, but far away in the future, is the macro metaverse, where ev- where things can talk amongst each other, where you can like trade, you can surf around and do anything. The equivalent of the internet, as I said earlier, instead of internet of information, it's an internet of experiences. So right. you all connect together, you can experience the things. I think one of my favorite parts of the newsletter, I like the little interviews that you include. Have you taken anything away from these interviews that maybe you weren't expecting to? What's the most surprising, meaningful answer that you've gotten to one of the questions that you've asked an interviewee? I don't have a particular example, but of the interviews I've done, I think the one there's a thread where like being brave and just doing it seems mm-hmm. to be like a key operative in our industry. If you have an idea, like it doesn't, like it could have been done before, but if you have an idea you're passionate about, just do it and build it. And that's the impression I had for the, all the interviews which I do. And I think they're all really good and interesting. The one that stands out purely because of, like, I didn't realise she was so invested was Carol Baskin, who you might know uh, from Tiger King. Yes. She was really interesting to talk to. Really interesting. So it's just, you hear someone who didn't know much about VR and AR, who then just went into it and then just said throughout the process, the VR and AR industry does not make it easy to learn because it just seems such a nebulous and very closed off thing. Which mm. I, which you have to take into heart because yes, it, it can be really closed up and it's very difficult to get in. Is it part of the way that technology companies work? Is this going to be a major stumbling block? I think it's skills. They don't know the, people don't even know where to begin with skills. They don't know they need to learn 3.js. They don't need. They don't know they need to learn Unity. They don't know they need to learn maybe a platform like Zappo or A4. They don't know where to start. There are some great courses out there to which dip into it and help, but there's a lot of demand for like special computing skills at the moment. And I think that gap between people knowing where to begin and then doing work, it's a gulf, which is yeah. currently bridges are being built. Okay. Let's say I'm an, a serial entrepreneur and I have an idea for an augmented reality product or I run a factory and I want to start using this technology. I mean, how do you see these bridges being built? Maybe it's just my bias as a communications professional coming through. But I think if if there's a way for these people to access good quality information on what to do easily, I think that's a sweet spot. And I think that will really, really help. Are there any myths or misunderstandings about these technologies that you see repeated a lot that you think are potentially damaging or a stumbling block to the people understanding the technology or working with it? 
there's a, there's a whole bunch of people in the UK who tried out VR, cardboard VR headsets, and oh, they thought they tried VR. And that was, that's really, that was really damaging when it comes mm-hmm. to the reputation of VR. You would now have millions of people who think that they did VR, but what they did was a 360 YouTube experience. From my perspective, when I was receiving like articles and reports on VR, there were um, companies who conflated virtual reality with 360 videos, which yeah. damaged the statistics on the number of people who tried VR. That was really bad, and I think that was probably the most damaging thing that happened in the UK. And when it comes to augmented reality, I don't think that's just a misconception. I just think people, and I do actually think there's actually more and more interest over time, but it's compar- It's not exponential. It's just going up, but not exponentially up. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. Virtual reality seems like it potentially could explode at some point, whereas... Yeah, I actually disagree. Like, I was actually thinking about this myself. I read Azima Zar's Exponential, and a wonderful book on exponential technologies. And I was like thinking about this. Is virtual reality an exponential technology? Can it go up straight up? And I'm not convinced. Like, this is some fundamental issues with VR at the moment. It's expensive at the moment. Like, the content's not there. The, the reason to put on every day is not there, save for fitness. I'm not convinced. I'm convinced it'll go up in, like, popularity. I just don't think it will go up exponentially. I've heard a lot of people argue that the affective experience of using virtual reality is so much more powerful than augmented reality, particularly the augmented reality we've had access to, that if people actually have the chance to use it, then it's going to be a much more, for lack of a better way to put it, magical experience. No, it's true, which is why location-based experiences are so important for that. It's a fundamental barrier of adoption that like you, it is very cool, but it's very difficult to try out. It's why VR arcades are actually really like important and partially why they still saw a lot of funding as well, because it, it is helpful. But yeah, it's growing quickly from there. Do you think that augmented reality is an exponential technology? Yes. So a- AR is already exponential because it can be used, if it's web-based, it can be used by billions of phones. So the actual like reach is there. It's a question of whether people will actually use it. And I think that because it's so easy to do, so easy to make, so easy to deploy, and the benefits are there statistically, I think mm-hmm. it will grow quicker and quicker. I've no do, doubt. Do you think this might actually be, in its own way, sort of a problem for future development of augmented reality technology if we're all able to access it through our phones, but most people who develop the technology say that a 2D interface is a fundamental stumbling block? No, I think it's... Um, We'll see how AR glasses develops over time. I try to be careful about analyzing AR glasses because there's so little information out there or a few like things that tap into my vision or what it is. It's a mixture of hardware and software, you know? And I think the hardware companies know they need to build the hardware before the software comes. They know it. They, they, yeah. they're, make, they're making a bet on the future. And I think it's a safe. Oh, I, I say a safe bet. I think it's a bet where taking all factors into account, it's a sensible one. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's that's probably a good way to put it. In addition to, say, people trying the technologies, people having access to legitimate, honest information about it, are there any other things that need to happen in order for virtual reality or augmented reality to 
to really start to grow in the way people imagine it will. Like cost is the main factor. In the UK, there was a point where there were like multiple VR headsets and the one that outsold the clearly better one, the Oculus Go outsold the Oculus Quest OG mm -hmm. model. Like one was clearly better than the other. The Quest is better than the Go in every way. But the Go just outsold it. And the reason why is just because it was so cheap. It's it's a very price elastic market. The cheaper you are, the more you sell, regardless of quality. So I do think that the biggest thing to address is cost. Make the product right. cheap. So it sounds like it needs to be so cheap that it could be everywhere without a second thought about expense. Yeah. It can't be like like a mobile phone at the moment because you use a mobile phone for absolutely everything, and VR mm -hmm. can't do that. So what you have to do instead is make it cheap. So it can be do it's one good thing and directly. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Check the episode notes for links to the books, reports, articles, and other media we discussed today. You can find more episodes of Spatial Reality in your usual podcast spots. Leave us a review if you enjoyed today's interview. And so you know, I'm always looking for more experts to talk to. So hit me up on LinkedIn if there's anybody you'd love to hear from. See you next episode.